Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my from? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are she talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. You heard it here first. We're going to Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm joined by an author whose debut novel is coming out very soon on January the 5th, 2023. I'm very happy to introduce Rebecca Ryan. Hi, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. So uh, when I first read the blurb for your novel, I was sold immediately. Why don't you, for me and everyone listening, tell us what my extraordinary life is all about? Yeah, of course. I mean, that is very good to hear about the blurb because <laughs> that, I guess that's the job. That's them doing their job, you know, yeah, the blurb yeah. doing its job properly. So that's great. But yeah, my extraordinary life is um, about Emily, who is basically completely average um, in every way. So that you know, the stuff that I don't know about human averages is ridiculous. You know, she has like an average number of bodily moles. She's got an average blood group. Everything about her is average, and for various reasons, she feels this pressure to become extraordinary and to live this sort of amazing life. And so it follows Emily on her, you know, her journey basically to become extraordinary. Um, And, you know, each little sort of challenge she sets herself, well, they never go quite to plan. So it's about her figuring out what sort of makes a life extraordinary and what makes a life worth living, I guess. It's just about an ordinary person, which is quite strange, really, to write a book about someone who is, you know, when you think about, when I think about characters in books, I always think about, you know, someone who is amazing or who does something sort of spectacular, but it's kind of the exact opposite of that, yeah. really, which, you know, I think when I first had to sort of start talking about it, and I'd say, it's about this really ordinary woman, and everyone would be like, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to sort of get a little bit better, get a bit better at trying to sell it. But yeah, she does, she tries to become extraordinary. I think like a lot of us do, sometimes we think, you know, what are we doing? And yeah, you know, is yeah. this enough? So she asks herself all those questions that we all ask ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a big shift moving towards relatability in not just books it, you see it in television things like that where i think people are looking for someone that they can really identify with versus you know a superhero or a you know superpowered being that can do everything without thinking so these kinds of stories i'm always really really drawn to them because 
there's a level of empathy that I think you can reach with these, which you can't reach with, you know, your traditional heroic mythological characters. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what I like to read as well. And that's what I like to see, you know, and I think Emily hopefully is really relatable. That's what I wanted her to be. And I think it's that thing of, you know, that sort of phrase that people roll out, you know, you're never lonely if you've got a book. And I think it's that sense of if you're reading something and you see your own thoughts and feelings and experiences sort of reflected back at you, there's something really powerful um, in that. And that's what I like to see. You know, I was a history teacher before I was, um, before I became a writer. And, you know, I like a good story about Henry VIII or William the Conqueror, like as much (laughs) as the next person, but I'm really interested in the medieval peasants or Tudor farmers. You know, it's like ordinary people. Um, that and their stories that really interest me because you know we are the majority <laughs> we make up yeah. the majority of humanity yeah. most people aren't going to end up in a history book or anything like that so you know it's those stories that I find really interesting so I guess that's what drew, drew me towards um, the genre and even though you know my second book isn't about Emily I think I'm just attracted to the stories of ordinary people and sort of people just going about trying to live their day-to-day lives and trying to live them well and sometimes getting it right and sometimes thinking wow that was a disaster like I've not got that right at all um because that's what we all do we're all just sort of fumbling around in the dark trying to exactly get through it I mean that's I mean that's just that's the human experience right what what you're what you're writing about is the the real human experience not the sort of fantasized uh, exaggerated version that that most stories are telling Yeah absolutely and that's what I you know that's what I really enjoy it's this sense of you know I think it's like there's almost something like transcendental about it you know even though it doesn't matter what age we're born in or you know where we're born there's there are these common human sort of experiences and you know these common feelings and thoughts that we all have and I think there's definitely like a comfort in that and also it's you know I think you're right if you sort of dig down deep into it it's you know the essence of what it is to be human and that's just like endlessly fascinating to me yes. <laughs> other people probably yes. don't spend <laughs> so quite so much of their time thinking about this sort of stuff um but yeah I just find it ridiculously interesting like I really like awful people you know <laughs> other people if someone's yeah. awful I think oh, I'm gonna leave steer well clear I'm kind of drawn to them because I just think like what is making you tick why are you being like this yeah, yeah um yeah. yeah so I think I'm just really interested in humans and and the human experience so yeah. I mean I'm absolutely not claiming that I've captured this in the book I like to put that out there that <laughs> <laughs> you know I've had a go but I wouldn't say I've like captured the essence of humanity but it's what yeah. I'm drawn to and what I find interesting yeah yeah I think secretly deep down we're all we're all on the same page here I mean that, that's why you know a lot of the time people are much bigger fans of the villains than they are of the heroes because often the, the villains have much more interesting motivations and stories yeah absolutely I love writing villains as well actually I've just been working on my edits for book two and my editor's like your your body is really bad (laughs) you need to like turn it down a bit like I've gotten really carried away (laughs) in making them awful (laughs) yeah but they are they are interesting I think as well like a lot of us spend 
I I spend certainly spend a lot of time thinking like, oh I hope I've been like received okay you know I hope what I've said yeah. is okay I've not upset anyone or you know I hope they've taken that in the way it was intended um, which probably makes me an awful person to write a book and get reviews but here we are but I just find it amazing that some people are like are not having those thoughts like they're just out there being horrible to people and just sort of getting on with it and I just I just yeah. think that's amazing like it must be so freeing <laughs> not to care <laughs> how people people receive you so yeah I guess because they're like the opposite of how I am I just find that so interesting so you you mentioned that you are you're working on the your your next book let's look the other direction and I wanted to ask is is this my extraordinary extraordinary life is this the first novel that you you'd ever written Yes, it is. Yeah, um, it's the first adult novel I'd ever written. So I actually had the idea for it um, like years ago when I was when I was twelve, actually. Um, and I watched. So Emily, my main character, it opens with her um, watching a TV series about human averages, um, and it's the same as the one that I watched when I was twelve. I know I was twelve because I've googled it since. Um, and you know, it was a that Dr. Robert Winston, I think, who did a sort of TV series about. Yeah, just all about like when the average human, so how you starting from pregnancy. So how long is the average pregnancy? When does the average human sort of walk, talk right the way through to what does like an average death look like? What are we dying of um, on average? And it was, I've just found it really, really interesting, really fascinating. But at the time, I still remember thinking it's kind of sad, you know, that you're reducing a human life to um, these facts and statistics, which obviously we can't, you can do, but there's a huge amount more. Um, that's going on behind those so I'd had the idea for like really a long time you know I'm 36 now so it's it's taken me a really a long long time to get around to writing it um yeah and I guess the tipping point was I had my daughter when I was um 30 I had my first first little girl and weirdly she I got a sleeper so I got a baby that slept all the time I've not got another one but okay. my first one slept a lot um so I was at home with this baby that was asleep all the time and just had all this time on my hands and I just I'd always sort of had it in the back of my mind you know should I write it down um and that was the tipping point I just thought you know what if not now when really um so I didn't actually start out writing this story I just started sort of playing around with um children's like short stories because I was a history teacher I kind of thought well I've got to write children's historical fiction um (laughs) and I like sort of penned like a 20,000 word it was so awful a 20,000 word children's story and it was really bad but my husband was like you know you should you should try this properly you should give it a go um and I was kind of struggling um by this point I'd gone back to work and I was kind of struggling with um, work and, ha- and having a baby at home um, I just basically didn't want to be there and you know so I thought oh, well maybe I will take it but more seriously and that short story which I guess was a novel but compared to what I write now doesn't feel like a novel and um, yeah. that got me an agent actually and I guess it, I sort of it became apparent though that I probably my heart wasn't in children's historical fiction you know and sure. I really wanted to write what I read is contemporary fiction and that's what I wanted to write so I was lucky that my agent sort of stuck with me while I did a massive <laughs> U-turn <laughs> um, and wrote a completely different um, thing so it's not the first thing I've ever written but it's the first like full adult novel that I've ever written um, which you know I, I know I'm incredibly lucky for it to have worked out the way that it did really and I'm as surprised as anyone 
to find myself here, to be honest. Um, you know, but it, it did take a long time. It took, you know, because I had two other children um, yeah, at that time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and obviously I got the book deal two years ago as well. So, you know, it's been a long time waiting for yeah, publication yeah. date too. Especially with COVID and everything that slowed everything down. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. And um, I think there was, you know, there was COVID and I was, I was at home with children so I couldn't be as productive as I wanted to be like my husband's a key worker um so I think there was like a lot of things that slowed down I think traditional publishing just is like incredibly slow it's so different to teaching which is really fast paced um so that's been a real you know shift to get used to um that we're talking about two-year time scales and yeah it just seemed crazy to me but yeah it is the first thing I've ever written and I think it was pretty you know it was a pretty smooth process really which I'm massively paying for with book two which is almost killing me <laughs> so like even though I got off lightly with my first book my second one is really making me suffer so right. hopefully people won't hold the first you know reasonably easy journey against me yeah. yeah 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 okay so I mean you mentioned that your your husband read that that first children's story and then encouraged you to to keep writing do you um do do you have like a writing group or, or critique partners that you that you kind of bounce your work around with? Yeah, I was kind of lucky because my um, so one of my NCT friends who had a little girl same time as I had my first, um, she had she self published um, oh, okay. one of her, like a memoir she'd been through sort of IVF and she just self published like a sort of memoir of that which did really well and also meant she had kind of an in to the local writing community. So through her, I sort of like wormed my way in. And also through COVID, I did like a writing group online, um, which was really nice because it was like a Saturday and I'd just be like, well, I'm going to my writing group. No one can talk to me for three hours or whatever. (laughs) Um, And it was the first time that I'd sort of really read anything out to anyone um, who wasn't my agent. And it was just nice to get sort of some you know, some feedback and for people to say, oh, it's not trash, you know, which is what I kind of always think people are going to say whenever I show them anything like, oh my goodness, that's awful. You know, what are you doing? No one said that. Um, So that was really nice. And um, yeah, and I made some really good friends sort of in the local community because I I live in Bradford, so, you know, right in the north. So there's not, there's not like a huge um, presence up here. Publishing doesn't, you feel like publishing doesn't kind of extend up here and even my agent and my editor and everyone are obviously London based and I can sometimes feel like I'm sort of just floating around on my own you know with no sort of link to to the publishing industry and so it's nice to have some local people who are involved in it too so yeah I did an online group I'd already written it by then to be fair so I'm not sure how helpful it was because I just kind of got stressed anytime they said oh you know you should change this and I was like well I've already submitted it now what am I going to (laughs) do you know Um, so for a while I just kind of went along just for fun and to you know for a few hours to avoid my family um but (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it was yeah it was good and I've stayed in touch with them all and you know they've all been really supportive which is lovely yeah, I mean, it's, as a community, the writing community is generally very, very supportive and, and friendly. So your agent is Hannah Wetherill yes. at North Bank Talent. Um, how, at what, what stage of the process did did um, did you sign with with Hannah and how did that sort of come about? 
Yeah, so I actually, I signed with Hannah's predecessor, which was Chloe Seagar, who I think you've had on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I signed with her and then um, Chloe left and Hannah sort of took over, um, which was kind of strange because I'd gotten on so well with Chloe, you know, I'd like been down yeah. to meet her and um, she's sort of super friendly and we'd gotten on really well. And that was, I think, my first, Hannah taking over was like my first experience of I think what publishing is like where there is quite a lot of change and you have to be, you know, used to that. And I found it a bit unsettling at first, but honestly, Hannah is amazing. She's absolutely brilliant at what she does. And, you know, she, she's very, she's a very calm person. I'm a very not, I'm not a very calm person. (laughs) So I think we work together um, really well. I mean, you know, she tells me to calm down a lot, Um, but yeah, it was, you know I'd only written sort of a draft by that stage and so Hannah really did like all of the edits and we worked on all of the edits together and um I really like how she you know how she works I really liked Chloe too and I'm sure if Chloe hadn't left it would have been you know it would have worked out just as well um but yeah I think Hannah and I are a good match because she's so level-headed and she keeps calm you know when we were on submission um with my extraordinary life I mean I was just a total wreck and then we got the offers and we had a few offers so Hannah was sort of playing them off against each other a little bit and I was just like Hannah can we just sign and she was like no 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 and then we'd like meet to be potential editors and she'd be like Beck stop smiling so much and don't agree to anything and I was just like you know you could probably see my smile from space I was so happy to be in yeah. the, having the conversations and she was like a no kisses on the end of emails you know so she it was really she had like nerves of steel like I would have signed everything over straight away and yeah you know with the first person who offered and like I'd make a joke where she would you know she'd written this pitch um letter I'd sort of make a joke and put at the bottom like p.s you know we don't care if we get paid here and she'd like delete it and be like this is not funny we do care if we get paid but I think I just didn't expect anything to come of it so I was kind of like not taking it you know I wasn't really I didn't have any expectations at that stage because I'd read all these stories about how horrifically hard it was so I just thought oh there's no chance that anything is going to come of this so I was just having a sort of relax and a laugh about it and then when we did get the offers yeah yeah I was really really surprised and Hannah kept, Hannah loves contracts and stuff and she kept saying well let's go through the contracts again and I just feel like not listening to a word she said because I was just so <laughs> happy that we had an offer <laughs> and even now you know we have to go back and check my contract whenever something comes up because I wasn't paying any attention to oh, any yeah, of the yeah. <laughs> initial discussions <laughs> about it uh, but I mean that's amazing it, it was a three-way auction in the end right Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, so, that's so good, especially for a debut. And then in the end, it was, um, Molly Crawford at Simon and Schuster that, that picked it up, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 So, so is she the person that you've been working with, um, as an editor to, to finalize it for publication? Yeah, she is. Um, so, I mean, Hannah is quite involved like editorially, but Molly is, um, I would say like, you know, she's is fantastic at the editorial mm-hmm. side of things. I think that's like really her strength. And when, um, when I sort of got my first set of structural edits, so, you know, there's a three-step process of these structural um, edits come first and they're the sort of big ones. I remember just reading them and thinking like, oh my goodness, 
like, I can't do these. Like, there's no way I can do these. And, you know, it took a little while, but she was so right in everything she said. And she kept saying, you know, you can disagree with me. It's fine that we don't have to. But they were all absolutely spot on. And, you know, my writing group who'd read the sort of early draft when they read a draft after after I'd done these edits, they were like, yeah, they, you know, they were so right. Um, so I'm very lucky, I think, that I've gotten to work with Molly because she's, yeah, she's just ridiculously clever. She's, you know, she's got such a good <laughs> eye for this um, yeah. sort of thing. And I think as well, like her background is, I think she was like a, a care worker or something, or she worked in social care before. Her background is of someone who I think really gets relatable fiction. I think that's... Um, what she's drawn to as well so I think it was really good that we were coming at it from the same angle and you know if ever Emily wasn't relatable well and I'd missed it um, Molly could pick it up so yeah I've been ridiculously lucky I mean it'll probably all come crashing down at some point but so far (laughs) (laughs) you know it's been a really good it's been a really good journey I hear that word but it has been a really good journey so far. I mean it sounds like you take because some people, and I've had quite a lot of debut authors on here, and they they do find it quite challenging when they get to working with an editor, and and especially like structural edits where they say, "Oh yeah, we're going to have to do some big changes here and move some things around." But it sounds like you take critique extremely well. I don't know. I think um, I don't think I'm like particularly precious. I think I just come at it from a point of view of you know, we're on the same page and that is that we both want the book to be as good as it can be. And like, I fully accept that I'm a total novice at this, really. Aside from having written this book, I don't actually feel like I know how to write a book. Mm. And, you know, I've never done like a creative writing course. My degree isn't even English. I'm, you know, I was a historian. So I don't feel like I'm in a position where I can sort of come back and say, well, no, you're wrong and I'm right because... They do know more than me, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm like completely happy to accept that people know more about this um, than I do. I mean, yeah, maybe a couple of books down the line, I'll feel like I have more, <laughs> more that I can say. Um, but yeah, the minute I merely just sort of sit and smile through everything, um, I do think there is a bit of. I mean, I have absolutely crippling imposter syndrome, like a lot of the time, and I do think that is part of it that I, yeah. I don't feel like I could challenge something. I don't feel like there's anything that I've wanted to challenge yet, but I don't know how I would. Um, react if there was I don't know how I'd navigate it if I you know if I really disagreed on a comment or something like that so I think then I would really struggle but I have I haven't felt like I've been in that position so far and yeah I think I always just come back to that thing of you know our interests are aligned in that we both want the book to be yeah. good so she's not going to tell me something that would in her opinion make the book worse so I have tried to just go into it all with an open mind really um also my parents are really critical so maybe I'm just used to being (laughs) you're just used to being criticized and just taking it on the chin I don't know um yeah like some of my structural letters like 7,000 words so we're like 7,000 words long and I remember thinking like oh so this is a lot of criticism and then there'll be like one line of like great good job however here we go (laughs) I remember thinking like wow you need to have like you know a tough a thick skin really to get through this 
yeah but yeah, maybe yeah. It's, yeah i'm not sure why i find it okay i think you nailed it at the start as well by say, just by saying you know you can't be that precious about these things no i'm not no i'm not precious at all i mean not you yeah. know the book has a different title to the one i had but again ah. i just think i just think you know they i called i i called it the life list which to be fair whenever i okay. said it people thought i was saying the lifeless and that i'd written some sort of like horror <laughs> <laughs> horror thriller ghost story um yeah. so it's probably good that it's been changed but mm-hmm. i also think you know i'm no marketer and the marketing people know what's going to appeal so i'm happy yeah. to um even though my extraordinary life is quite a mouthful i do think it fits the book better than the life list did or the lifeless as everyone thought <laughs> Yeah, well, it definitely fits better than the lifeless. I, I <laughs> Although lifeless would be very on theme right now, given that it's just past Halloween. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you, uh, before we get onto the final question, uh, I, I do like to sort of ask people through the journey that you've had with, you know, publishing your first book, if you could go back to when you sort of first started um, writing, when you first decided to sort of take this seriously and give yourself some advice now that you've gone through it all, what would what would that advice be? Um, I think, well, the piece of advice I always sort of chuck out whenever anyone asks me this question, it's probably not really writing advice, but, um, I, you know, when I was younger, I listened to this speech by Tim Minchin, and I think he's speaking to university students who are graduating. And I think I've seen that. Yeah, it's great. The whole thing's great. But the one bit that I really like is where he says, you know, it's all luck. And I just think it's it can apply to publishing. It applies to life, but it can apply to publishing really well because I think it there is a huge element of luck in it. And I've got friends who I think are great writers who haven't got book deals. And I think it can apply to both both sides. You know, if you are really successful um, in publishing and in writing, then you need to remember that there is a, a lot of luck involved. Um, and because you need to stay humble, otherwise you're going to be unbearable to be around. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, my book got picked up, I think, hopefully because it's half decent, but because of COVID and people were looking at that time for uplifting stories because we were all a bit miserable from um, being stuck inside for a year. So, you know, it was definitely a case of right place, right time, or at least it played that played a part in it. So I think have to remember that there's an element of luck in it and at the same time if things don't go your way it's not a personal judgment on you and it's not you know it's not a criticism of your character it's just bad luck yeah you know I think you need to have that kind of level of detachment from it because it's a really brutal industry to say that everyone is absolutely lovely you know it's quite cutthroat as well and I think there are so many things that are beyond your control all you can do is concentrate on the words that you put on a page and beyond that it's just luck and you know if it goes your way great but remember it's just luck like you're not responsible for the bit of your brain that's allowed you to write a book and do well so Mm -hmm. you know don't take too much credit for it and if it doesn't (laughs) go your way well it's you know it's not a judgment of you it's just a bit of bad luck um, yeah. so don't pin everything on it I think don't pin your happiness on getting a book deal because no one thing is a magic bullet to making us happy yeah. and you know book deal is the same no 100% that's very good very wise advice because so many things do have to line up as you say like time place but also people like you need to be sending your submission to the right agent at the right time for them 
because you, you never know if if you sent your submission you know one day later maybe they signed someone the day before who was writing something very similar to you and that's the same with the publisher and like it's all these little things that have to line up for it all to end up in 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 you kind of riding that wave all the way through yeah absolutely and you know I get quite a lot of um people message me and sort of say oh, you know what advice would you give I want to get a book deal and I always think you can't really concentrate on the book deal aspect of it because, you know, if you read the statistics about getting a book deal, that just no one would bother trying because they're horrific. But when things do line up, um, then that's great. But there are a lot of variables in that. And then that goes all the way through as well, even once, you know, once the other side of publication, there are so many things beyond your control. Um, You can't, you know, that, that go into making something either successful or not. Um, you know, all books that are published are decent, you know, because they wouldn't have got that far otherwise. But yeah, some do amazingly and, and some don't. And I think it's, yeah. you know, there's just so there's so much beyond your control. I mean, I say all this, I don't listen to my own advice at all because <laughs> I will determinedly try and control absolutely everything. Uh, yeah. You know, I like translated like 48 German reviews last night, you know, to check how it was going over there. <laughs> so I mean, I don't listen uh-huh. to my own advice, but I, you know, I know, I know what it should be. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. So I was going to say, well, that's extremely wise, but yeah. <laughs> do, do as, do as, do as you say, not as you do. Exactly. Yes. That's Indeed. my advice. I've changed my mind. Yeah. For everyone listening. Yeah. Do what Rebecca's <laughs> saying, not what she actually does. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Amazing. Well, that brings us on to the final question, which as always is, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take? Okay, yeah, so I thought about this quite a lot, probably more than is potentially normal. And I mean, if I'm taking it literally, I really should take like a Bear Grylls type survival guide because otherwise I'm going to be mm-hmm. dead within hours. So I have literally yeah. no survival skills at all. So, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to pick um, A Thousand Splendid Sons by Colour Tassini, um, I which is potentially like a depressing book to be taking um, to a desert <laughs> island because the subject matter is awful at times. But I actually think even though it's a, you know, it has really um, difficult subject matter. Um, it's a testament to the fact that even in the darkest of times, the you know the optimism of like the human spirit does win out um, at all points um, at the book. And so I think that it would be a nice book to read on Desert Island because you would be you know other you know you so that sort of sense of other people go through really difficult times, but actually there's always hope to be found, which is probably a very naive and very, you know, simple worldview, but it's the one that I'm sort of sticking with. So yes, A Thousand Splendid Sons. That's a, no, it's a great choice. And I think, I think it's a very healthy, some people might call it naive, but I think it's a very healthy worldview. You always need to find some hope in, in every action that you're doing, I think, just to, just to keep going, just to kind of um, get the energy to, to continue. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's, you read the news or you see what's going on and you think, gosh, it's it's really hard to keep a sense of optimism at times. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to. And I think all through history, humans, that's what, you know, that's what endures is that even in really difficult times, the human spirit is, it's pretty resilient. And so I really, I think I really like that thought that there's always good to be found Yes. In everything. I, another, I think that's a wonderful choice. A wonderful choice. A great addition <laughs> to, to the Thanks. Desert Island <laughs> Library. 
well, thank you so much, uh, Rebecca, for coming on the podcast and sharing your your experience with you know writing your debut and, and going through the the publishing process for the for the first time. It's been really interesting and really fun chatting. No, thank you. It's been lovely. I've really enjoyed myself. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with everything that Rebecca is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at writebexwrite or on Instagram and TikTok at bexryanauthor. Her debut novel, My Extraordinary Life, is out January 5th, 2023. And to make sure you don't miss out on any episodes of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at rightandwronguk or on Instagram and TikTok at rightandwrongpodcast. Thanks again to Rebecca and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record and download your podcast with and it even has a built-in transcription AI. It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.